Hello, everybody. How is everybody's week going? I hope it's going well. I got to tell you, um, we're one of the lucky ones. <laughs> My kids are all huge Taylor Swift fans. So I hope you got Taylor Swift tickets. Ours was super easy. Maybe it's because it was Tampa, but um, actually my daughter um, Provo was getting them for us. And um, she was like, I just caught them right away. <laughs> so I know you might not even know what I'm talking about if you were not in the Taylor Swift drama, but because then my husband got and he literally did he wanted to do it just to experiment. I'd be on the call to see how long it took to get tickets. And it was six <laughs> and it was the like we didn't get the tickets there, but you know, it was just interesting, like the whole experience of that process. I mean, so many analogies of how we experience life. So thank you for coming today. And and so appreciate you being here. Being um, and you should be proud of yourself that you are investing in yourself of learning new skills of how to create better connections in your life and better conversations and how to enjoy the people who God puts in your path in a better way. Um, Cause I really, I always remind myself like relationships and our knowledge is the only thing we take with us in the next life. And so I think anytime that we invest in that is even more important to me, honestly, than exercising our body because our bodies break down, right. But our minds and our relationships are the longest term, honestly, best investments you can make in yourself. So once again, you should feel proud of yourself and I'm glad you're here and we are going to get started because your time is valuable. So let me. Pull up my presentation. Um, okay. And share it with you guys. Um, it is, you know, I'm in Tampa and it is cool today. So I have a sweater on. It has been unseasonably warm for um, Florida. Like I know Florida's warm, but even warmer, like summer hot. So it was so lovely taking my daughter to school this morning. And I was like, oh, I get to wear a sweater today. I was so thrilled. So, okay, we are not here to talk about my Florida weather. We are talking about today how to enjoy people that we don't see the same thing, how we see life the same, or that we have very different points of view. And, um, you know, where they could even be really vocal about their point of view and you can too, but how do you really enjoy those people? And so we are going to get into it. I have some really amazing tools that I want to show you that actually work. And so first let me, some of you guys are new to me. So let me just kind of give you a little introduction. Um, these are my amazing six kids. We have 13 to 25, um, one boy, five girls, Nick, our oldest came out as LGBTQ at 15. Um, another one, my daughter's here, came out as bisexual about a year, year and a half ago. And we have one on a mission in Italy, um, one at BYU, one at BYUI. And then my sweet little Kate um, is sitting at home with us. Well, not sitting at home. She's at middle school right now, but she's our 13 year old. And so we have a little caboose. So those are my kids. I met my husband um, 33 years ago at BYU and we've been married 31 and a half years. He is still my favorite person in the whole world. Um, I That's one of the things I love coaching on is actually marriage because um, I think marriage is so important. Um, and when my son came out, 
like that kind of rocked my world. And so that's when I hired a coach and, you know, we did therapy and we did coaching, but coaching was for me much more impactful. And that's when I decided to go get certified through the life coach school. And then I did some advanced certification with Jody Moore for faith-based because um, that is where you know, a lot of our coaching comes from for LGBTQ for where I focus on of the LDS and the LGBTQ intersect. And, um, and then now I have a coaching community called lift it together, where you get to coach with me one-on-one still. Um, and I wanted to, I create this community because I was tapped out with how many people I could help. And I wanted a way that I could help more women and more families, because, um, that is why I do everything. I came from, um, a, a really close family, a family of 10 that I absolutely adore. Um, and they are so important to me and my kids are too. And so I want other families to be thriving, healthy families. And that's what I do. And this is a picture in the corner of um, when we did, we did a lifted, lift and love retreat with um, LGBTQ moms. This was just such a sacred space of bringing these moms together and learning together how to be better moms. And so I love teaching people how to be better moms and better dads and better parents. And I just think family is everything. And the more we invest in learning skills of how to enjoy our family, we don't pick our family. So we have to learn how to enjoy who the Lord has sent us. And um, that's, I coach on this all day long with many families and it is next to motherhood. It is been my favorite job. Okay. So that's a little bit about me. And at the end, I know, um, you, um, people have saying, how can I work with you further? I'll talk about that at the end, but as I'm going, I'm just going to be teaching. And if you guys have questions, put it in the Q and a, and if we have time at the end, I will go through everybody's questions. So all your questions are good. Sometimes I'm a really fast talker. I know. So sometimes I teach the concept really fast. So, you know, tell me if you need a little more clarification, I'd be happy to clarify my teachings. Okay. So the question is why even like, why even deal with this, right? Why even work on enjoying people who feel different from you? Because, you know, it's kind of hard. Like this is hard work. This is like going to the gym for our brain of working on these things. And the reason we do that is because you are the one who continues to feel the dislike. Like, think about it. Last time, like you were, think of the person, I just pick one person that you kind of dread having a conversation with or dread seeing. You're the one carrying around that dread. You're the one carrying around that like tightness, that um, feeling of like negative, apprehensive, like before you see them, it affects you. Okay. It doesn't affect the other person. It, it might affect the other person, but we don't feel the other person's feelings. You feel your dislike. Okay. And you're kind of dreading. And that's where I work with you to empower you through that because I don't know about you, but I hate feeling dislike love and being excited to see people is where I am much more comfortable, feel confident. And that's where I want to live. I don't like living in the land of dislike for people around me, but it comes up because we're human beings and um, we are wired to judge and wired to like, look at other people and we're not always going to click with other people, but doing this work has changed my life, honestly, because I really, in every conversation and every kind of social event, I never like feel, oh my gosh, like nervous about what other people are going to bring up, especially with LGBTQ children. There's a lot, there's sometimes you could feel like it's a minefield and I have the confidence now where like, I got me, I, I got me and I'm going to like the people. I'm going to figure out how to like these people. They can't help me from liking them. And so that's one of the reasons is like your emotions, like empower better emotions for you. The second reason is 
this whole work is the best classroom to evolve yourself as a person. You know, it's easy. We think it's easier like to cut out the negative, toxic people in our lives, but actually it's in the end, not easier because you're not evolving. You're not becoming who you need to be. So the difficult people in your life are actually your gifts to you because they are your best classroom of growing yourself up, gaining the confidence, becoming who you want to be in the world. And so it's not hard to you don't grow yourself up with the people that are easy to love, right? They're, they're not making you work harder, figure things out, mind, you know, um, be a, the boss of your mind. They're just easy to be with. But the people that you have to work your mind around, that actually evolves you to the next state of who you need to be. And it really is evolving you to become more like Christ. And so the difficult people in our life, and that's why I think going to church, um, you know, in the LDS church, we go just geographically, I think is brilliant because once again, a lot of these people in your ward, you would never be friends with, but you have to figure out how to work with them in organizations, how to serve them. And that is really, and it's not a gift to them. It's a gift to you because then you really learn to love in a new way. And so this is part of learning how to love in a new way. Okay. So those are two, I think, really great, great reasons why you would do this. Um, and okay, so understanding like what makes a healthy relationship helps is a good foundation for this topic. And it really comes up with two things. It's your thinking about the other person and your communication with them. Okay. And um, your thinking is, we're not going to talk about that today. Um, that's a whole nother um, webinar that I will do, like your thoughts. And we talk a lot about, but today we're going to focus on actually your interactions with other people. Because um, both of these components, your thinking and your communication is what creates these healthy dynamics, these healthy relationships around you. So what can make, you know, communication so difficult? And most of us have learned to communicate really from the emotion of blame, frustration, defensiveness, or justification. Um, we kind of are always on a um, little bit like fight, fright, fight, flight, or freeze, right? We're a little bit like, okay, is, is this dangerous? It's just kind of like our primal need to be like protected. And, um, and there's also, we have this primal need, like our brains are wired to be right at all costs. Um, and it costs intimacy and connection to relationships. And most people don't even know that is what their brain is doing. Like you just think you are saying words and autopilot and interacting with people, how you are like made to be. This is just the person you are. But really it is like your brain, that is how it's wired. And since most people don't know about it, most people can't let go of that need to be quote unquote right. You know, like in a whole nother coaching, they would be like, what is, what is right? You know, like we could define right in a lot of different ways, but the problem is since your brain prioritizes the need to be right, it does that over feeling connected. It, it makes that much more important than actually feeling connected to the people around you. And so that would be great. I would say, keep that if it was serving you, but honestly, I've never coached anybody who this serves them with any relationship um, what it does is it gets a lose-lose scenario, right? That is your result where somebody loses, you think you win, if you think you win and they lost, that actually is a lose-lose. When we don't create connection with the human beings around us, with the children of God around us, you lose and they lose, okay? And so this is where, I, and I love the world we live in that we even like know these things about our brain and how like 
psychologically how it works and all these things. And so now we know like, oh, no wonder that felt so important in that conversation. And it felt so hard because I was thinking like my, I wasn't even thinking my brain was just pushing me to be right versus feeling connected and listening. So it's, oh, sorry. It's just always a lose, lose. So you should feel good. It isn't you because who are the people that need to be right about everything? Think about it. You now have those people in your life, but honestly, they're you too. Human beings are the people that have to be right about everything, you know, and we not knowing this now just arms you to do better. Okay. Knowing like, and thinking back and past conversations where that wasn't even your, um, conscious goal, but it's always an unconscious goal that your brain has. And so now that I know, like my favorite thought is how am I wrong? Right. And I literally like try that beginner's mind in most conversations, like sitting in release society or talking to my kids, like, how am I wrong? And that really helps me show up, um, in a more beautiful way in a way that I like myself better actually. And so, you know, conversation is how we interact with other human beings. And if you define conversation, it is turn by turn, natural language communication between two or more people. But the problem is conversation is ubiquitous. It's very complex and it's very fraught, right? Like two people with very different goals, with very um, different emotions, feeling different things. Conversation can be a land, landfill, landmine. <laughs> Sorry, getting that word right sometimes. And But this is how we communicate, this conversation. So we have to like examine our conversation and get better at it. So how do we get better at it? Well, like I just told you, when you drop the need to be right, you drop the need to feel defensive or be defensive in a conversation. And I love that because with when you have without the defense, there's no need for offense and the war is over. Um, so you really training your brain with the right language of like thinking patterns. And that's what we're going to talk about today will help you get better at conversation. Kind of like... Um, you know, when you're driving and you're like 10 and two, you know, when you're learning, you're like very um, concerned about all the rules, put the blinker on when and do all these things. And they feel like hard to do and hard to remember all of it. But now when you get in the car, you do all of those things without thought, right? And that is what I'm going to help you with your brain and conversations. So it is possible to learn new tricks. <laughs> okay. So how do you stop having difficult conversations? Um, the first thing is I want you to take full responsibility for creating a new way to communicate with the people around you. And I'm going to teach you a really easy, simple, I would say simple, it's, I would say easy, simple way that we're going to practice today. And I also want you to know that it really only takes one person to change, to make a healthier conversation. Um, I was coaching a client about, um, you know, I coach a lot about mother and daughter-in-laws and about her daughter-in-law. And she was, um, she's like, she just has a story about the daughter-in-law that she is a difficult person. Right. And she has a lot of evidence and probably nine out of 10 of us would agree that she is a difficult person. And we, I've coached her through what I'm teaching you today. And this was probably about six months ago. And her relationship today is completely different than it was six months ago simply because of um, what I'm going to te teach you today, these tricks. And her daughter-in-law has not changed one iota, um, but actually she has changed a little bit actually because now, um, because of my client's energy around her is different. The daughter-in-law is like a little bit like, this is the irony of it all. When we change, 
um, the other people relax and they enjoy being around us too. So it's a little bit different dynamic, but the bottom line is six months today, the relationship has changed because my client fully enjoys the daughter-in-law. She, um, and she's not nervous about conversations as she was before. She's not nervous about what she's going to say. She is just fully being able to present and enjoy that daughter-in-law who she is. And this is what one of the things you gain from what I'm going to teach you. Okay, so this is what like I've taught for years is good communication practices, okay? And these are six that are, I want this is kind of a foundation and then I'm gonna teach you a new skill that I'm teaching my clients now that um, is kind of blown my mind. But these six, I wanted to revisit because I think um, if you do if you do any of these, these really are helpful with communicating with like interacting with human beings. Um, and this is funny, like start soft. When I say this, um, it's funny. I had a conversation with one of my daughters last night on the phone where it was kind of a reprimand, to be honest with you. And I didn't stop soft, start soft. And it, and I wasn't even thinking about the goal of the conversation. So remember, even though I know these and these have changed my life. Sometimes I go to my autopilot and I wasn't even like thinking about the conversation. It just kind of came up. And so I wasn't at my best. And when I say start soft, I mean, like, you 95% of the time, the Gottman Institute did the study that when we start a conversation with positive affirmations, that is how the conversation goes. So I was kind of reprimanding her of how she was treating her sister on the phone. And I should have started with like, I think you're an amazing older sister. Like I love like how much you love your sisters. And I started with, you know, you really have not been the greatest sister. <laughs> so you can see where the conversation went. But I believe both of those thoughts, right? Like usually not per one person is all one way or the other. And so believe those thoughts are both equally true. And if I had started with, I think you're amazing sister, the conversation would have been much better. So today I'm going to have to call her and I'm having to revisit, which um, I've gotten really good at, like say, you know what, yesterday didn't go well. And that actually can be even more impactful. So when I st say starts off, think of something you love about that person. Think of something that is true, that, that would um, fill that person up. And that's where I want you to start the conversation. Okay. Um, the second practice I would like you to think is how are they just like me? right? Like every, all of our, like there's five moral common, like needs that we all have. Um, even like you take the Democrats and the Republicans say, if you're like talking about abortion, like they all both have like the same like need or desire or want for that. It's just, they're looking at it different. And so when we go to the base of like, how is this person just like me? Um, like if you're going in and talking to a church leader, right. And saying like, how is this person just like me? And usually it's like, they want to serve God. Um, they want to help my family, you know, things like that. Like there's always something that helps you change your energy. And it's not in war where you're like, we're on the same page. Okay. Um, the third one is we are both right and we are both wrong. This one I use a lot in my marriage where I'm like, you know, I have that thought all the time. Like he's totally right and he's totally wrong. I'm totally right and I'm totally wrong. When And that's usually equally true. Like you're not 100% all right. You're not 100% all wrong. And when you go into any conversation and you think that, once again, you're dropping the need to be right, right? And you're, it's not a war where you're like, he's doing the best he can, I'm doing the best I can. And it just changes the energy around how you interact with people. Um, breathing, being mindful in conversations, being present. Um, one word, like the word that helps me is love. Like, and I, I think because I've coached so many people, like when my clients come on, I literally always think I love this person. 
and it helps me be very present and very mindful. And I really believe it and I feel it. And that, and so when you like feel, have a thought, create, and it creates that emotion of love, then you feel it. And so I like to like go into conversations with like one word to help me centered. Um, listen more than talk, right? Listen with self-compassion, listen and believe what they're thinking is true. Listen to their truth. You don't have to, um, believe like what they're saying, but you have to believe it's true for them. Okay. So you listen with self-compassion for them and for you. Okay. Like what it does love look like for them and for you. And, you know, sometimes we get triggered. Like I told you yesterday, I was not a great conversation. Um, I was irritated. She was irritated. Um, and I finally said, you know what, let's talk about this later. And there's going to be times where you're not showing up the best and you're going to be triggered when, when I say FFF, it's fight, like where you want to just keep fighting with the other person flight. You want to leave, like you like need to leave, um, or freeze. You don't say anything and you just kind of listen. And, but you're in your mind, you're kind of panicking your, your brain's on fire. When I say triggered, like your brain's on fire and you're notice this by how you feel where, um, usually you're feeling irritated, tight, um, angry, all those things. When you do that, that is not a time to continue the conversation. That is the time to notice it and take action of like, I need a break. You need to go away, end the conversation for you can self-regulate yourself. It is not their job to make you feel better. It is not their job to self-regulate. When you like, this is owning your own emotions, being that emotional adult, adulthood where you're like, I'm the emotional adult. I know I'm triggered. I need to take a break. I need to self-regulate because you're not, if you stay in that conversation, damage will happen and you will not be operating at your highest self and you won't be accessing the words and the emotions you want. So these six practices, like start soft, like think of positive thoughts about this person. Even if you're really angry, I still find something that you can love about this person. Um, how are they just like you? How are they both? You're both right and you're both wrong. Keep that mantra. Um, breathe, be mindful, be present, keep one word of like, I love this person, um, listen more than talk and then notice yourself, be like present in that breath. And if you're being triggered, know when to like call it quits. And remember you get to walk away. There's no reason like, and you could do it in such a beautiful way. Even like with the Bishop, say you're in a very, um, stressful conversation be like, I appreciate everything you've said. I need a break. Anybody, honestly, it's your job to articulate your needs and, but your job to pay attention. So this is like the six things I normally like have taught for years, but I've added a new level that um, I think you're going to love so much, which I have loved. Um, okay. Keep getting out of it. Okay. Sorry. Computer's off. So the next chapter that I have, okay, done is beyond those six things is we know like the a healthy conversation is really when people feel understood. Like, I want you to think about conversations that you have been in and when you felt understood, how you viewed that conversation. And I promise you probably in a very positive light, you probably felt like there's headway. Um, and so feeling understood is the magic bullet with all conversations, but how do you let the other person feel understood? Um, because you can't, you know, they create their own feelings, right? We can't, and we can't even know really if they feel understood, but this work mm -hmm. that, um, Julie Minson did, and she's in that Harvard Kennedy school, she created what we call, um, receptive conversation. 
And she, um, it's like, why won't you listen to me? And she studied behavior science of conversation. She's an expert of it. And she's created this um, acronym that I'm going to teach you that has helped me like take the conversation to the next level, because I was really good at all those six things I told you about, like regulating me, but I can't make the other person also feel that good. Right. But this with, when using the right words, then now I've seen like this next level of conversation of connection that I didn't have before. So I think this tool is really, really powerful. Um, and so it's called conversational receptionist and really what it, what it is, is it's the use of words and phrases that we demonstrate to engage with whoever you're talking to so that it conveys understanding. So you're saying words that actually will create a motion of understanding in your person you're talking to. And conversational receptiveness is about really signaling your genuine interest in the other person and his and hers or her views. Okay. It really is the most beautiful part of connection. It's really like, I want to understand why you think this. And what has happened is like, she's done so many studies about this and studied this so deeply. And what she's found is that words and phrases that make the other side feel like they are truly engaged, like you're truly engaged with their perspective. This is the, the fruit of it. Most people want to have like the thoughtful, informative, warm conversations about important issues. Like we don't want to be fighting. We really want to like hear the other side. And what feeling heard happens, and she did a huge study with like mere Republican Democrat mayors through the United States. And what happens is if the person felt fully heard, it dramatically de-escalates the conflict. And the problem is that most people don't know how to make their partners feel heard, right? Like those six things I gave you are all good for you. And that's why I wanted to go over them. But to make the other person feel heard, that is what I'm going to teach you today. And that's why it's so powerful. So why does it work? Because feeling heard powerfully de-escalates conflict and improves willingness to continue to interact with you in the future. It builds your relationship for the next conversation. And people don't know the words to use to make their con counterpart feel hurt. That's what she found. Like they want the other person to feel heard, but they weren't using the right words. So it's hard because like listening is a very internal mental process. And so it's not externally visible. Even when, like I said, you're present and you're really listening, the other person might not read it as that. Okay. And active listening, like that therapeutic meditation skill, it takes years to master. I'm still trying to master that active listening and not to be in my own head to be, you know, really present. And conflict introduces stress and completes our goal. Like when the conflict continues to escalate, it makes us further apart. So having the right words for these situations on the tip of your tongue, this is what prevents the unforced errors in your conversation. This is what helps you have a better conversation. And the linguistic behavior that people exhibit in conversation really can powerfully affect their partner's perceptions, engagement, and willingness to cooperate with you. This, she's tested this over and over again. And it's just, there's nothing negative about this, this tool. It's made every situation better. So not only were like, they're more persuasive, but they also achieved a host of other benefits. Like they, the partners then who, whoever was using the conversation receptiveness, their partners then saw them as more trustworthy, more knowledgeable, more knowledgeable and more willing to continue the conversation. And so it, it just makes you have a better connection and you're thought of better in the conversation. So 
a part of this is you have to like be really clean with what are your goals in conversation with people. Um, and sometimes like yesterday, like I wasn't even focused on my goal. Like I told you, like, like, is it to give the other person a chance of, at some dignity? Is it to repair the relationship? Is it to learn about them? Sometimes it might be to avoid conflict, but it's important to know and actually create your goal, especially if you're going into, this is probably more for like, you're going to Thanksgiving, right? And you know, um, Uncle Al is going to be there and he has views that drive you crazy. So what is your goal? Like in those four things, it's really important to be intent. Um, so what are usually people's goals in conflict? It's usually usually it's to persuade the other side, right? To prove that you're right, um, to bring evidence for their views, like why you think you're right, to learn about why others believe what they do. That's like, that's one of the amazing goals, but that's not always where people are coming from. To avoid conflict, sometimes is a goal, to preserve the relationship, to make the other side look bad, to get out of the situation as soon as possible, to end the conversation quickly, to impress others, observers, right? Or are you just sharing because you want interest validation from whoever you're talking about? Like, right, there's millions of goals for conversations. But like in this picture with these two people, they have two different goals, right? Um, and so that's usually one of the problems with um, conversation is our goals might be different. Like you might be in a conversation just to say hello and connect. And the other person might want to like need validation and interest and in you into it, but you're not giving it. And that's where conflict comes in our relationships. So common challenges are people fail to explicitly consider like these conversation goals and they don't recognize that conversations have goals at all. Like I, this might be even a new concept for you today. Like, oh, I've never even thought of like, there's a goal. Like I had interaction with my husband this morning, right? And I didn't even think like, what is my goal in this conversation? So like start thinking about that. Actually, when you go in with that intent, it helps you show up in a different way. So I want you to consider some goals, but not all. Like, like some consider goals, but not all. Our own goals can conflict with each other and goals can also change mid-conversation. Like you might have... Like with your child, you might have like go just to connect and then they say something and now you're like, oh my gosh, I got to convince them what they just said is crazy, right? Or like, so things change. So that's the challenge with it. And we also forget that others also have a rich constellation of conversation goals and they might conflict with our own, okay? Especially like with our kids, like they might be like, I just want to say hi, but we want to know what's going on in their life and they don't want to share. I mean, so you could see over and over again, like goals conflict. So I love this goal. This is the goal that, um, I try to go into every conversation now with, and it's, it serves me well. And a helpful goal for each conversation or interaction should be that each time you have a conversation, what you're doing is you're laying down a foundation for the next conversation and the next conversation to get it better. So I'm no longer going into conversations thinking, this is my one shot to convince them. This is my one. I'm just like, I just want to feel a little bit more connected with this person. I want to like continue being in relationship with this person. And I've this is funny, but I've done this with prayer where I've taken now, like every prayer, I just want to feel a little bit closer to the Lord because I'm really trying to work on making my prayers more significant for me and conversation with God. This also works with God and how you feel. Okay. So I want you just to reflect for a minute, like how would your Think about unsuccessful conversation. I shared with you mine yesterday. Um, how would it have gone differently if you had thought hard about your own goals and or your counterpart's goals, right? My, if I had really thought like, I really want to have this conversation. So um, 
my, my girls stay close. Cause that was my goal. Um, I would have interacted in a very different way, but I was not present enough or even aware enough. And I did not use this tool. And so now I have to have a repair conversation. And I know that goal, <laughs> right? It is to repair. So I'm going to go in it very differently. Okay. So what um, Julie has taught us is it's the four, she has made this acronym called here, here and practicing conversation receptiveness. Like it's four steps to a healthier conversation. And so it's hedge your claims, emphasize agreement, acknowledge other people's perspectives and reframe to the positive. And, um, I have practiced this and this is an art. Okay. So I think like hedge your claims is, I think it's possible that this might happen because some people tend to think emphasize agreement is I think we both want to I agree with some of what you're saying. We are both concerned with, do you say all like you're agreeing, like emphasize, like you're finding the same, how they're the same, like you acknowledge other perspectives. I understand that. I see your point. What I think you are saying is and referring to the positive. I think it's a great one. It would really, I would, re, I really appreciate it when, and it would be so wonderful if, okay, these are all languages. And actually I'll try to send this in the email to you guys. Um, this is all phrases that I've had to like, keep going. I have a list on my phone now that I have to keep going back because it's phrases that you're trying to create new neuron pathways in your brain to think. But here is what I want you to remember. So let's go into a little bit deeper to hedge your claims. So what I'm really saying with that is this, when talking to somebody we disagree with, we try too hard to sound confident and sure. Like we try to be like, okay, I know that I'm right about this, but most complicated questions have complicated answers. So it's like, they're both right and both wrong. I'm both right. And I'm both wrong. So words like sometimes, perhaps it seems like, and occasionally signal that you understand the complexity of what you're talking about, because life is messy and every most subjects are complex and are willing to be honest about the fact that nothing is true hundred percent of the time. Okay. When they feel like you are willing to listen and that you have a little bit of space of maybe you are wrong. This is where somebody else feels understood. So examples are, um, I think it's possible that this might happen because, well, some people tend to think, right. You're just kind of hedging. You're, you're still talking about your, you're not saying like, you don't believe what you believe, but you're a little bit softer, right? Well, I think it's possible to look at it a different way. Um, this might happen because kids feel unsafe. Well, some people tend to think it's more impactful, right? Like see how it's just hedging it a little bit. Okay. This step two is emphasize agreement. And I'm, I'm going through here just so you remember, but I'm going to give you some um, examples in a minute. And I actually like mix this all up. So it doesn't have to be like follow this blueprint. It's just use all of these. So emphasize agreement is really your signaling agreement means finding like you have commonalities of perspective, even in the midst of conflict. So this could be done with phrases like, I agree that, or I also believe that, or similarly, like finding areas of agreement does not mean changing your mind or compromising how you feel. It just simply means that all humans have at least a few ideas and values that they hold in common and even in the midst of disagreement, right? And I'm going to show you some great examples of it. Um, and some examples are, I think we both want to, I agree with some of what you're saying, and we are both concerned with, okay? And once again, I'm going to give you some really good examples of this. Okay. The third one, A, is acknowledge the other people's perspectives. 
Um, the best way to signal receptiveness is to acknowledge your partner's perspective with phrases like, I understand, or you are saying, or I hear that. Like when you're taking those brief few seconds to signal that you're really listening, like if you're, when you're using like this conversation, like you speak, they speak. So if you're using your airtime to acknowledge the other perspective, that actually isn't like ruining your airtime. It actually is giving you more airtime because the person's willing to stay engaged with you in conversation and they're willing to be like more open. Like we want them to be open to your perception. So when you spend time and those seconds of like reinstating what they just said, um, it really is listening and it goes a long way to improving everything about the conversation that happens afterwards, right? And it really, it just, it, it's such a positive thing. And it's an easy thing because it's very easy to restate what they said. So I understand that. I see your point. What I think you are saying is all of those are good phrases for this. All right. And the last one is reframe to the positive. So what you do is you say the exact same idea, but you're using positive versus negative. So don't do, uh, you don't say don't, you say, I like it when, or I disagree. I see it differently. How could you think? I could see how you could think. You are wrong. You might be right. You shouldn't. I could understand how you would. Those type of phrases. See, I'm not giving up any of like my beliefs or what I think is right, but I'm willing to like say it in a different way, restate it in a different way. So I think it's great when I really appreciate appreciate it when. It would be so wonderful if these are all great examples of um, how to reframe. And this is a beautiful way of just an easy way. Like what say you um, are a cat person, right? There's usually some people are both, but usually you're either love cats or a dog person. I'm a dog person. So I totally give this. So instead of going around saying, um, actually, this would be somebody who I love, who loves cats saying, I love cats. I mean, instead of saying like, I hate dogs, I would say, I love cats. Okay. Um, see how I just reframed it to the positive. Um, acknowledge the other person's views. I know you love dogs, right? And that doesn't take away that you love cats more. Um, use hedges to soften your claims. Like, well, some dogs, dogs can't, sometimes dogs can chew the furniture. So you're acknowledging of like, yeah, some of what you're saying is true. Um, and you try to find points of agreement. I agree that dogs can deter intruders, right? Like you see with their point, like you totally like, yeah, I could agree. That would be amazing about dogs, but that doesn't take away from your conversation of loving cats and see how you still engage and how that conversation, if you were on the other end, you would feel a lot lighter and connected to that person. Okay. So I have some great, okay. A couple of things. Don't trust your instincts. You've got to practice this. Um, <laughs> chances are you're not as receptive as you think, which also means you're not reaping the full benefits that receptiveness can bring into your life. Really practice makes perfect. Um, you just, and you know, maybe try one of the acronyms, the H, the E, the A, or the R, right? But I have seen like, as I'm retraining my brain to be different in a conversation, just like the driving analogy I gave, it's clunky in the beginning, just like it was clunky driving, but now it's getting easier and I'm thinking less about it. It's becoming more um, autopilot. And so it just practice makes perfect. Give yourself some time with this. Okay. So these are some examples I give, gave you. And these are real life um, conversations I've had with people. And this was with a teacher and she was complaining to me that um, the kids at middle school were driving her crazy, that they were coming in and asking 
for them to change their pronouns and to call them a new name like every other week. And she's like, this is just such a trend and I'm sick of complying with it. Okay. And so I totally could see as a teacher. So this kind of was my response. Um, sometimes kids are needing support when they're asking for a new name. I agree that this would be challenging as a teacher to remember the new names and the pronouns. I see that you have a good understanding with the trends that happen with kids. As a mom of LGBTQ child, I really appreciate teachers using the right pronouns because I know that that can make a safe place for our LGBTQ kids and them to have better mental health. Okay, I'm going to break it down for you here so you can see what I did. See how that was really smooth, right? But these, I used all the techniques. Like my hedging was... Sometimes kids are needing support when they're asking for a new name. So I was lightning, like saying in my point, right? But I wasn't saying like going against her point, but I was like still stating my point. I was agreeing with her though. When I said, I agree that that would be really challenging as a teacher to remember the new names and pronouns. Um, I was acknowledging her perspective as a teacher that she does see trends and like she has a good understanding that trends of what's happening with kids in middle school. Um, so I wasn't saying, oh, this is not a trend. This is all it, because it probably is a trend too. It's probably both equally right. And I've reframed to the positive, right? This where I said, but as a mom of an LGBTQ child, I really appreciate teachers using the right pronouns because I know that can make a safe place. So see the language. Sometimes I agree. I see that. I really appreciate the language. The linguistics is what we need to work on. Okay. Here's another example. Okay, I don't think we should talk. Okay, once again, this is another real life conversation I had. Um, I don't think we should talk about LGBTQ issues at church. This is not the place. It is clear how the Lord feels about LGBTQ actions and that it is abhorrent to him. Okay, this is what I said back. I understand what you're saying. There is some truth that talking about LGBTQ issues doesn't seem like it should be a church issue. However, I think it is possible because I have an LGBTQ child and witnessing their pain. I can also see how it could actually be one of the best things we could do for our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, because if people had talked about it, he would have felt safer at church. I can also see we how we have to make sure it is handled right so all parties feel safe. I agree that the Lord has laws, but I also can see that he has asked us to love one another, and I have no doubt that he loves his LGBTQ children as much as he loves you and I, and then he wants them in his church. Okay, so let me break it down for you how I did it. Ah, I can do that. Okay. So notice I did not do like here, right? I did the A, the H, the E. So you're going to be all over the board. So don't get caught up in like doing it like that. You just are looking at the language, okay? And looking like, have I acknowledged her perspective? Um, have I said my claim in a softer way? Have I emphasized agreement with something? Have I reinstated this to the positive? And so this is kind of how I broke it down. The first thing I did was, I acknowledged her perspective. Like, I understand what you're saying. There's some truth that talking about LGBTQ issues doesn't seem like it should be a church issue. And then hedging, because then I said my point, but however, I also think it is possible because having an LGBTQ child and witnessing their pain, I can also see how it could actually be one of the best things we could do for our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, because if people had talked about it, he might've felt safer at church. Then I emphasized agreement. Like, yes, I can also see how we have to make sure it is handled right for all parties to feel safe, because that's really what she was saying. She doesn't feel like it's a safe place to talk about it there. But then I reinstated the positive of something she said negative of like the Lord thinks is abhorrent, right? Where I said, I agree that the Lord has lost, but I can also see 
that he has asked us to love one another. And I have no doubt that he loves his LGBTQ children as much as he loves you and I, and that he wants them in his church. Okay. See the language that stands out to you. I understand there is some truth. However, I think it is possible. I can also see, I use, I can also see three times. That's one I use a lot. And you're going to um, have catch phrases that you use because you're, you know, we like habit, our brain does. And that one works for me. Like I can also see, or I see it a different way. Um, I agree. See how this language really does help break down the barriers of these um, hard conversations. Okay. The last one, I don't think there should let transgender people, transgender children participate in sports unless they participate as their gender of birth. And I said, I think it is possible that there might be another way to look at this. We both would agree that we want it to be a fair playing field for the children participating. What I think you are saying is that allowing transgender children to participate with the sex that they identify with might be unfair to others. It would be so wonderful if we could look at other ways to allow participation for heterosexual and transgender children so that it's fair and safe for all children participating. Once again, this is a fraught issue, right? This is a complicated issue. You're not going to solve the world's problems in your conversations. You got to remember that. But you want to, once again, still connect to this person, to the people around you. You want to feel safe. You want to like the people around you. And you have the power when you do this because what happened is like I hedged, right? I think it's an, I think it is possible that there might be another way to look at this. I emphasize agreement though. Like we both would agree that we want it to be fair playing field for their child, for the children participating. So I totally agree that it should be fair. Um, acknowledge perspective. What I think you are saying is that allowing transgender children to participate with the sex that they identify with might be unfair to others. But then I reinstate it to the positive. Like it would be so wonderful if we could look at other ways to allow participation or like to measure other ways to allow participation beyond just like um, sex, you know, what sex they identify for heterosexual and trans children, transgender children, so that it is fair and safe for all children participating. Like I didn't solve the problem, but I, once again, it's staying in engagement with this person. And um, this was a really interesting one for me because um, we've had many conversations since then. And it's been fun to like keep learning from each other, like stats and everything. So, um, and it sometimes like it's, this is more work for you, like more, more benefit for you because like, I'm not nervous about having conversation anymore with that person. And I was before I like figured out to do this. So theory into practice, like this is art. Like I told you this, like approach disagreement as an art. And since disagreement is inevitable, like you're a human being and we're interacting and there is friction. Friction is part of every relationship. You're going to have opportunities to improve. And as long as you approach disagreement as something you want to get better at, you're going to, um, you know, I was very frank with you with like yesterday, I wasn't great. At it. I want to try again. So I will have another conversation. And so while the receptiveness recipe gives you like that blueprint for how to disagree constructively, it's not a shortcut. Like steady participants that she studied, Julie, um, said it required ongoing effort and commitment to keep using receptiveness techniques even after they've been learned. So I gave you a great example, right? Like I've done this and I've got really good at it in some areas. And then when like I'm off the fly, I don't always use it. So that's telling me I need to keep practicing because I did not use that yesterday when I was feeling very strongly about something. I didn't have a clear goal. I wasn't even planning on that conversation then. And so like when you're not as present, you're going to go back to autopilot. But like I said, 
don't worry about it because like today I'm going to have this amazing conversation with my daughter. I know the goal. I know how to do it. And I'm so confident going in. I'm not nervous about having this conversation. Like I have to fix it. I'm like, I'm totally going to fix it. I know how to do this. And so all you could always have another conversation. So this is really the key. People imitate conversation and receptiveness. This is what they found over and over again is that making receptive contagious. Foster conversation about receptiveness by talking openly about your desire to be more receptive and about the receptiveness strategies that work for you. Like, I'm fine. Like you telling somebody like, this is the way, like, let's, I have learned a different way to talk, say with your spouse, let's see if we could try it. Um, in fact, John and I, we were on a date Friday night and we were doing it in the car. And cause I was telling him like, what I was teaching and everything. And I've never really shared it with him. And he's like, okay, so let's try it. And we were trying it. So it could be fun and everything, but it's clunky in the beginning. And next time you approach a difficult conversation, I want you to give this a try. And it doesn't require you to gain the other person's cooperation in advance. But when one partner in a conversation begins to practice this receptiveness, researchers have found that the other partner often reciprocates. So if you are receptive, if I'm receptive to you, it makes you more receptive to me. And they found that over and over again. And that's the power of this tool. So I just want you to kind of, to sum it up of like, if we allow ourselves to have a disagreement, but look for commonalities, there is hope. Like, I don't want you to like, I'm not going to talk to these people. I'm going to cut these toxic people in my life because we are here to figure out how to get along with each other. And it takes courage and it takes tools. And like, I want you to have the right tools. And that's why investing and coming today, learning this tool. So having the courage to have the tools and you enter a conversation with people like you strongly disagree with about important issues and you open yourself up to the possibility of leveraging this receptiveness tool, this is how we make it a better world. This is how you bring goodness into the world is being willing to like get better at this. It's very impactful. All right, any questions put in the chat. Um, I know some of you guys want to know how to work with me. So I'm gonna get into that. Um, You know, the best way to do it is with liftittogether.com. Um, and you could sign up either for one-on-one with me, or you could join the community. And like I said, you get twice a month, you get private coaching with me. You could sign up for twice a month. And I teach a monthly class with a workbook and we have support groups. We have a support group in an hour um, and always replay. You guys are busy. Like it's on, you have a private podcast. I upload all the videos. So at any time you could go back and um, use this vault of, like I have 50 classes in there now. There's so many. And so you just go up to liftittogether.com, but as a special offer for you for coming to the class and investing your time is I am giving away five, only five family strategy sessions and the sign up link, I will send you the email. And I, when the five are gone, um, they're gone. And basically just to whatever you bring to me you will walk away with a tool to handle it better in your life. And so I call them family strategy sessions because it could be about your marriage. It could be about your child. It could be about a sister-in-law, a mother-in-law, whatever you need help with. Um, investing that time with me, you will gain a tool to feel more empowered in that situation. And so as a gift, a, a Thanksgiving gift and you know, investing your time, I'm giving away five free ones, but once they're gone, they're gone. So if you are interested at all, make sure you sign that link. When I, I'll, and I'll email you with the recording of the, um, of this, I'll email it to you. So people ask me like, does coaching really work? Cause it's skeptical. Right. And I get it, but I got to tell you, like, I just, one of my 
favorite clients. I, 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 all my clients are favorite. She was telling me, she goes, you realize now people in my life, um, cause I've been working with her probably a year and a half. And she's like, they're saying to me, have you talked to Jenny lately? And I'm like, no. And they're like, they could tell if I'm coaching with you or not, like the Jenny factor in my life changes like how I show up. And I was like, oh gosh, I hope that's good. But it was good for her. And so really, I really help you with any situation in your life. I give you personalized help. I use my tools. I give you that space to like the how, the skills to interact with other people. And, you know, many of my clients, I think therapy is amazing. And there's some things that I cannot do that therapists can do. But many of my clients have been through therapy for a long time or have had years of therapy and they find coaching a much better fit for them. So I'm not taking away therapy. I think there's like, there's certain things that I can't coach on. It has to go to a therapist, but coaching is just, um, it was, that, that's how I felt. I was doing therapy and coaching and that's why I became a coach because it was more aligned with how I wanted to like move forward and be more empowered in my life. So I give you that safe process to like process what's going on with you to learn, um, and support you because this life is a mental and emotional roller coaster. And so I really help you um, be the person you want to be. And that is why I do twice a month coaching with you. Some of my clients do twice a month, some do once a month, some do every other month. And it t- sometimes it depends on your life, right? And we also in our community have a community of parents just like you. So you aren't alone. There's no reason to walk this alone. And so you could reach out and connect with other parents, which is feels so great. So the financial breakdown is um, it's $97 a month, which, or like I said, you could go on and do a one-on-one with me, um, a one-off and that's 125. So 97 a month is such a great deal because you get to coach up to twice a month with me and you get also the workshops, the community and all the vault of the 50 workshops. There's so many tools in there. Like if you just focused on one a month, your 2023 will be unrecognizable. Like you will be a different person at the end of 2023. And if you sign up annually, it's only 970. So you actually get up to three months free. So the financial breakdown is that. Um, Let me see if you have any questions. And I will send you all links, you guys. Um, Let me open up the questions. And I will send you, um, I will try to remember to send you that slide with the wording on it. So you could kind of just participate with that, um, with all the wording. Because that the the phrases, like I said, like you're going to get some catch phrases. But let yourself be clunky about this. But let yourself be bad about it. Like just let yourself be bad at it in the beginning. And even your bad at it will be better than probably your old way to communicate. So just go in it to with a beginner's mind. I promise you this has changed how I interact with people and changed my confidence level. Like it has given me so much confidence to have hard conversations that before I was like, oh, I have no more mind drama about it. Right. Like think about my daughter today. I have no mind drama calling her. It's going to be a beautiful conversation. Um, so even when we mess up, this empowers us to like create the connections you want. And so it's very empowering. So I do not see any questions. So I hope I answered the, oh, there's one. Um, okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. It's great timing for Thanksgiving and our LGBTQ kids coming home. Yes. Like I use this on my kids and they don't even know it. <laughs> now that I've told my husband, I've taken that tool away, but I want them to use it on me. Like I want to feel understood too. So I actually want all my people to use this. <laughs> so I hope this helps you. And, um, that you have an amazing Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite day. We eat great food. We play games and it's chaos with family. Like we're going to Atlanta and um, I'm from a family of 10. And so it is complete chaos. So I love every minute of it, but I use these tools because we are not all politically aligned and <laughs> politically, or like how we look at LGBTQ issues or even like faith issues. So it's really lovely to go in it, not feeling fearful. 
And I want you to do that. So reach out if you have any other questions or if I could help you and sign up for that uh, family strategy. It's such a great um, gift you could give yourself. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great day.